Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now, let's get started. Do you guys believe that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. That sounded pretty much unanimous. Well, that is, a, that is a fact of Scripture, that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you also believe that the Lord desires a closer walk with you than even you desire it yourself? Amen. We just sang a song, right? Just the, And the, the chorus, and I don't mean to critique the song, it's just something that I thought about, right? Just a closer walk with thee, grant it Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. But you know, a close walk with the Lord is up to you. Yes, I understand that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the Word of God, right? And I get the and I get the I get the course of the song. But I also want to tell you that a close walk with God does not just come by saying, "God, let that be." It is the deeds, it is the activities, it is the actions of your heart towards Almighty God that determines how close you can draw to God. Amen. Now there's an amen or two in there. I'm going to put this back here. That has nothing to do with the sermon today. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've been, uh, you guys know how I am. I've been, uh, I've been dwelling on a passage of Scripture for almost a couple of weeks now. And, uh, and it's back in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I shared it with you, some of my thoughts on it last week, and I want to, uh, and I want to walk back through it a little bit more this week. And it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And, and that is, that was God's response to the prayer of King Solomon. And, and today, while I want you to turn in your Bibles to, I don't know, the very end of 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And I want to walk quickly through Solomon's, I don't know, I want, I want to say his life, but we're not going to do the whole thing. Most of you probably know that, that Solomon had a time in his life that he didn't do well. He let, uh, he let wild women and song lead him from the Lord like he should have been. And he, he, he strayed from what the Lord had commanded him to do. But can I just tell you, he started out good. He did. And, and in, uh, in 1 Chronicles, uh, the last chapter of 1 Chronicles, and in verse 25... We read that the Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel. 
And he bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been bestowed on any king over Israel before him. Now granted, there had only been two, right? Saul and, and David. But he, he obviously had the blessings of, of the Lord on him. Now turn, go ahead, page or two over. And let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 1. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Solomon, son of David, strengthened his hold on his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and highly exalted him. It, it, is, it is obvious from the text and from what we know at King Solomon that, that God's pleasure was on this king. We see that in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, That night God appeared to Solomon and asked him, and, and said to him, Ask, what should I give you? And you probably know Solomon's famous reply. He said, Grant me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people. For who can judge this great people? Of yours. Solomon wanted more than anything else before riches, before power, before military conquest, before all of the things that, that he could have asked God for. He wanted above all else wisdom and knowledge. And God granted that. A little bit further down in verse 12, we see God respond to him. Wisdom and knowledge are given to you. And we know that God said of Solomon that he was the wisest man there ever was, there ever would be. And that was his pleasure at Solomon. Wisdom and knowledge are given to you. So, so as we look just a little bit at this prayer that Solomon's going to pray here in a few chapters, the first thing that we need to remember is that Solomon was a man filled with the wisdom of God. This is not random prayers. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? This is, this is, a, this is a man who, who had supernaturally been gifted by God with wisdom and knowledge. Right? So he's, he's not a mere mortal getting ready to pray all of this stuff that he's going to pray. I mean, he is a man filled with the wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, before we single him out too much, I want, I want to remind you that in, in, in James chapter 1, verse 5, James tells his, his folks this. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given him. So we have, we have the opportunity, the power, the ability to be wise. To be wise in how we pray. To be wise in our walk with God. To be wise. To, to not be foolish. We have that power available and, and given to us. Now, as I, as I march through some of these passages of Scripture, in, uh, in verses 3 and 4 of, of 2 Chronicles, we see, we see the temple being built. 
We see all of the gold and the, and the stuff that David have accumulated where God told David, you can't build my temple, but your son Solomon will be able to. And we see Solomon begin this task of, of building the temple, and, and, and it comes to, it comes to uh, completion. And Solomon prays, and, and he asks um, God to... To, to enter this temple, to bless this temple with his presence. And, and God does so. In verse 5, we, we see that, that as they assembled in the temple, that the presence of God and a thick smoke filled the temple so that the priests couldn't even worship there. It says that, that the trumpeteers and the singers joined together in praise and thanked the Lord with one voice. They raised their voices accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and musical instruments in praise to the, God, to the Lord. For He is good and His faithful love endures forever. And the temple was filled with a cloud. The presence of God indwelt the temple after the prayer of Solomon and the praises of the people. So Solomon, the temple is done, and, and Solomon has, 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 has prayed that the presence of God would, would fill the temple. And then Solomon begins this prayer that's going to take us through the entire chapter 6. And I'm not, I'm, I don't intend to read it all to you, but I'm going to read enough to you that we get a sense of, of what's going on. But in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire congregation of Israel, and he spread out his hands, for Solomon had made a bronze platform seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high, and he, and he put it in the court, and he stood on it. And he knelt down in front of the entire congregation of Israel. And he spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. Keeping his gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with their whole heart. And out of that, out of that passage, I, I want you to see first and foremost the... The humility of this great king. Right? This, this king that God had blessed more than anybody could even imagine. This king that had untold wealth. Untold, I mean just it's, it's unbelievable everything that Solomon had at this point when this temple, when this temple is finished. And, and, and yet... He falls on his knees before his God. And he acknowledges that, that there is no God like you. And he begins his prayer for his people. He begins his prayer with his, for his people by acknowledging the greatness of the God that was their God. And, and he goes on in, in, in chapter 6, and he, he prays um, 
repetitiously, really. Um, you, you know, I guess first, one first thing I wanted you to see is that, look, look what he says about the people in, in verse 14, right? He says, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven on earth, keeping his gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with their whole heart. Right now, these, 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 apparently, this was, the, this was the, the stature of the people spiritually. This is what they were about. They were walking before God with their whole heart. I mean, I, I can't think of anything better to say about a group of people. Amen? That they walked before their God with, you know, with, a, with, a whole, with their whole heart committed to, to the things of God. And as, and as Solomon starts, starts his prayer, he prays over and over that, that God would hear their prayer. That he would forgive them when they turned back to him and that he would act. You see, he's praying for people before they even do much of anything terribly wrong. Now, now I, I get it. I mean, for those of you that are Bible students, I get it that this is a covenantal prayer of King Solomon before the nation of Israel. But we've acknowledged together that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there are nonetheless truths that we can glean out of these passages of Scripture that, that are for us. They're not just for the nation of Israel. And, and he, he prays several different scenarios, right? The first thing he prays is, if a man sins against his neighbor, right, then may you hear in heaven and act. And, and that is a common phrase. I think it's nine times in chapter 6. May you hear in heaven and act. And the action that he asks for comes after the people's returning, repenting, getting right with God, what, all the different phrases that he used, hear and act, hear and act. He says, if a man sins against his neighbor, then he prays for justice, that he would hear and act. He says, if your people are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you and they return to you here in heaven and forgive their sin and restore them, and he prays, if the skies are shut and there is no rain because they've sinned against you, and they pray towards this place and they praise your name and they turn from their sin, may you hear in heaven and forgive the sin and teach them. May you send rain. In verse 28, he says, where there is famine, when there is pestilence, when there is blight, where an enemies besiege them, whatever whatever their prayer or petition that anyone from your people Israel might have, each man knowing his own affliction and suffering, spreading out his hands toward the temple, may you hear from your in heaven and may you forgive and repay the man according to all his ways. Hear, forgive, and act. He says the same thing for the foreigner. He says the same thing a couple of more different times. Hear, hear their prayer, forgive them, and act. 
He comes to the, he comes to the, to the end of this prayer in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 40. And he says, Now, my God, please let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers of this place. Now, therefore, arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place. And then we come to verse seven, I mean, chapter 7. And chapter 7 starts out like this. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple to the point that the priests were not even able to enter it. Sounds like an answer to prayer. And it was just by his presence. He answered first just by granting his presence before all of the people to Solomon's prayer. And then we see in chapter 7, verse 14, the passage that I opened with this morning, right? He says, Then then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice, And if I close the sky so that there is no rain, and if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. See, and he was, it wasn't about the pestilence and the famine and all of that kind of stuff. You see, God was just responding back to Solomon the things that Solomon had told him. Right? He wasn't saying, I'm going to necessarily do this. Now, he does end up doing this. You know, Solomon's Solomon's prayer was fairly prophetic because they were a people that did not serve the Lord with their whole heart like Solomon said they did. Eventually they didn't. But God said, yes, I will hear, I will forgive, and I will act when they come to me. When they come to me. You know, I think, that, I think that these verses reflect an, an unchanging character of God to hear His people and to forgive His people and to act on behalf of His people. You know, and, and, and all of this, I guess, all of this comes as, as, we, uh, you know, as we have prayer sheets that are full of people that are seeking prayer. And, and our desire to be, you know, my desire to be a pastor that prays faithfully, full of faith. <laughs> Both of those, to pray faithfully, full of faith. And that you be a church that is able to pray faithfully, full of faith, so that we might see answers, amen, to our prayer. And God promises to hear and to forgive and to act. Yeah, so I want to I want to just make a few comments about this passage. First, he says, "If my my people, who are called by my name, answered answered prayer, is 
Prayer is answered on the basis of God's people praying. Last week we looked and we saw a passage where, where God said, they are the sheep of my pasture. Right? If you have been born again, and committed your life to Christ, and you've been adopted into the family of God, and you are His people. And He says, if, if my people, who are called by my name, will pray, I will hear, I will forgive, I will act. The prayers of God are not promised to unbelievers. They're not. I mean, I know everybody thinks that they, they can pray and God hears them and God will answer them. But I'm telling you folks, we don't see that in Scripture. God is pretty clear that He works in this world within and through, now not only, but within and through the prayers of His people. We must, we must be a people that pray. And you know what? If you're a child of God, that ought to give you confidence, right? I mean, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, the first thing out of his mouth was pray like this, our Father. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen, Lloyd. By the way, this is Lloyd's last week with us. I'm going to miss you, brother. He's getting ready to move to Midland, Texas. Why, I don't know, but he is. <laughs> Actually, I do know why, but... Anyway, um, you guys be sure and shake his hand and hug his neck and make him cry before you leave today. <laughs> I'm glad you said hallelujah one last time, brother, so I could make a point out of that. You know, it should give us confidence as we come to the Lord, right, that we, that we are his children. But the passage goes on to tell us some other things about answered prayer, Right? He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Will humble themselves. You know, I, I don't think we honestly understand how much God hates pride. You know, over and over in Scripture, we see that the pride is the root of all kinds of evil. God does not best pride. Two phrases are found repeatedly in Scripture about humility and pride. One of them is, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. That doesn't sound like answered prayer. And you know, sometimes even, when we come to God, we pray like God owes us something. Well, you know what? That's pride. That's pride. And, and Scripture teaches us that we, come, that we come humbly to Him. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The second phrase that I see repeatedly in Scripture is this. He who exalts himself will be humble. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the, the problem ultimately became with this nation of Israel, right? That, that, that in, in, I mean, they became proud of being God's people to the point that we don't even really need Him anymore. And guess what? 
He humbled them. In all of the ways that, that we looked at, with famine, with pestilence, with war, with defeat of the enemy, with captivity, with over and over, the, the consequences of their pride came down on them. And the Bible says too many times for us to miss it, that God's desire is that we humble ourselves before Him. Now, now I... You can think on that a long time, right? Lord, how do, how do I know if I am humbled before you? I want to be. And, and I think, that, I think that, it, that it comes, right, uh, just kind of the way that, that, that Solomon right, started this prayer. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you. There is nothing, God, that you can't do. There is nothing, God, that is higher than you. Do you know that Scripture says that the name of Jesus is exalted above everything? That should humble us. Just, just the, 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 you know, and I talked about it a little bit last week. I think my messages are kind of all running together. But it's, um, it's humbling to think of yourself as a sheep. We, we have sometimes an exalted view of ourselves when then the reality is that we are sheep in dire need. Of a shepherd that watches over us and cares for us. And you know what? It should bring a humility into our lives that where we say, God, we, we can do nothing apart from you. I need him for breath, I need him for food, I need him for everything. There is nothing that I am capable of doing myself including standing up here and preaching. And you know what? No matter what's going on in your life, the reality is, and you may not like it, and you may not agree with it, but it is nonetheless a fact of life. Anything that you do that is good is from God. Everything else in your life is sin. If it doesn't begin and come from a heart that is submitted to Almighty God. So he says, humble yourself and pray. We see over and over the, you know, how important humility is in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, it says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In Luke chapter 18, um, Jesus is, is telling the stories, and there was a tax collector standing afar off, and he said, He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and clothed with humility. Everyone. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. We can humble ourselves because we recognize the ultimate power and authority of the Lord God. The next thing that he says in this prayer to God, he says, if they seek my face, if they seek my face, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Seek my face. What, what does it mean? That's another one that I've wrestled with this week. What, is, what does it really mean, God, to seek, to seek your face? You see, most of the time in our prayer, what we are seeking is the hand of God. We want God to touch that loved one that's sick or to, or to give us whatever this is that we want or need. Not, not saying necessarily they're wrong, right? We, scripture teaches us to petition the Lord, to petition God for the things that are in His will. So, so there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. But I think most of the time what we are seeking is the hand of God and, and this passage clearly just does, I mean, it says face. If you seek my face. You know, what, you know what the face of God is? It's His presence. <laughs> it's the presence of God. The person who gets their prayers answered. Now, now, I mean, it's not quite as simple as this, right? I mean, we got to pray in the will of God. we got to stuff. But, but in this instance, he is saying, I, the, the, I will answer their prayers when they humble themselves and they pray and they seek my presence. Not what I can just do for them. It's the reason I... You know, when the song that I, I didn't really intend to make fun of it, right? But when we were talking about that, God wants more than anything else that we seek His face because He desires such a relationship with us. And you know what the reality is? Is that when the presence of God is before us in our life, it really doesn't matter what we get from His hand. I mean, I know that's hard to believe. But when our walk with Him is such that what we desire more than what He might do for us, you know, His, His healing or His redemption, you know, from the terms of heal their land and, and overcome captivities and, and all of those things that He says He will do, He says He will do. But key to it is seeking His face. Seeking his presence first, not his hand. And then he says, I will 
I will heal their land. Right? I will heal their land. In uh, Acts chapter 2, there is a quote from David, right? It says this, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. My flesh will rest in hope. You won't allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. By seeing first the face of God. And then he says, the, the, uh, back to Second Chronicles 7, 14. He says, if, you, if they turn from their wicked ways. I think sometimes we don't think we have any wicked ways. That sounds awful. Turn from your wicked ways. But you know, the repentance, and that's, and that's, and that's what this is about. This is about repentance. That's, that's, what he's, that's what God is saying to Solomon. If, if these people, when and if they do wrong, if they repent, I will hear an act. Repentance is more than a conviction of sin. It's part of it, but that's not all it is. Repentance is more than a confession of sin. Repentance is more than being sorrowful for sin. And it is all of those things. But true repentance is a complete turning from sin. As best we can. None of us are great at that. Through the power of God we can be, but it seems like we're not. But true repentance is a complete turn, a wholehearted change. And, and, and Scripture here in this passage says that if you're, I'll answer your prayer, but here, here's, here's the if, here's the conditions. You turn from your sin. And you know, if you think that you can get right with God in one area and still keep all this other stuff over here, you're not right with God still. See, true repentance is when everything lines up under Him. Not I want to repent for this thing, but you know what? This sin over here, this attitude over here that I have, yeah, I'm not ready to quit that yet. So I just, I want God to hear some of my prayer now because I'm willing to repent on this thing. That's not what this is about. This is about a wholehearted turning from sin that says, God, I want your presence in my life always and hear my prayer because I'm your child. You know, this... Oh, I'm out of time. Good grief. You know, I, I understand that this was a covenant prayer with the nation of Israel, but it's also for us. And the thing, the thing that I got to, to wondering, because it's, you know, it's not exactly for us, because it is a covenant prayer, but, but I just got to wondering, are, are, there, are there ifs that God has to our prayer? New Testament stuff. For those of you that are New Covenant, Old Covenant, God's not like that anymore. He is still like that. 
Okay? He never changes. His grace abounds in forgiveness. Right? But He never changes. His heart never changes. So, so I started trying to do a little bit of study on are there ifs that accompany our prayer life. And I find that there are. I'm going to go through these quickly. We may elaborate on them more tonight or next week. I don't really know. But in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus himself says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. <laughs> if you abide, if you remain, if you dwell in Jesus... And the picture that we have of it is a, is a continual fellowship with Him. Right? Does His Word and does His will guide the actions of your life in general? None of us are perfect. Please don't hear me say I'm not talking about a legalistic kind of thing that we can be perfect. Because we, we cannot. Right? But is our life generally guided by... His presence. Do we abide with Him? You know what that sounds like? That sounds like what the Chronicles said, and seek my face. Abide with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 starts like this. Beloved, beloved are believers, right? If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. If your heart does not condemn you. Now, as I was thinking about that, I thought about what causes my heart to condemn me? And, and I really, I, I just come up with two things. First one is a lie of the enemy, right, that seeks to condemn me by pointing out my sin to me. But you know what? That does not condemn me. Christ died for me. And He has forgiven me. And I don't care what the enemy says, He does not condemn me. That should not cause my heart to condemn me. But you know what does cause my heart to condemn me? Guilt over real sin. Amen? You guys know what? Surely you know what I'm talking about. Am I the only one that senses that and feels that in my life? No. Guilt over real sin is what, is what condemns me. Actual guilt due to disobedience. Actual guilt due to disobedience. God does not change. He demands obedience from His children because He empowers obedience from His children. You know, I, 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 I thought about it a little bit like, like this, and this is not a perfect analogy, but <clears throat> you know, I've got grandsons that are staying with us this weekend. And uh, bless their hearts, uh, they're like most little kids. They really just don't like to obey. Right? I mean, we're a rebellious people. They're more rebellious than others, seems like, sometimes. Right? 
but, but sometimes they don't like to obey. But you know what? It doesn't keep them from coming up to me and saying, Grandpa, can I go outside? Can I have a piece of candy? Can I do this? Can I do that? And it's guess what? You will, you can, when you obey me. Now, I'm not the only one that's raised kids like that. You know, some of you are nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Disobedient children do not get everything they want. And you know what? It's true of God also. God desires us to be obedient children. He desires for us to keep His Word. He desires for us to live faithfully. We're not, we're not, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. Any more than there's such a thing as a perfectly obedient child. There is not. Right? It doesn't take much obedience to let, for Grandpa to let you go outside. Right? And I praise the Lord that I think He's the same way. Right? But it does take a heart of obedience to come before God with an expectation and a confidence of prayers being answered. That too harsh for you guys this morning? It's the truth of the Word of God. I'm going to quit for this morning. It's hard enough, isn't it? Oh, church, you don't know my heart. I want to be an obedient child before God. I want you to be obedient children of a loving Heavenly Father. And the blessings that He bestows are unbelievable. I am more blessed in my sinful life than I can even imagine. It is nothing but the grace of God that any of my prayers get answered. But He does. He answers our prayers. When we have a heart that seeks His face, turns from our wicked ways, cries out to Him. Amen? Amen. Hey friends, before you go, if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou@att.net. That's P-R-A-Y, the number four, Y-O-U at A-T-T dot net. Or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctuttle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you and we hope you have a blessed week.